You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Man, that's a ripper of a passage, isn't it? I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, um, to preach um, from here. I've noticed one thing, that if you want to really like, stump a Christian, right, like really get them like, stopped in their tracks and, and uncomfortable, ask a question about the Old Testament. Particularly, like a curly question about the book of Leviticus will do it. I was listening um, to a podcast uh, by some comedians of mine that were the uh, friends, uh, comedians that I follow, rather. They're not my comedians. <laughs> I'm not that wealthy that I can employ court jesters. Um, no, they were, they were at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I was listening to a podcast they're on, and they, um, they made a bit of a joke about um, uh, Israel Folau. Now, I don't know if you're kind of rugby people. Any rugby people here? A few. But you know who he is. Anyway, they're making a joke about him because he'd come out rather publicly uh, and uh, spoken into the gay marriage debate. Now, I don't mean to get into all that, whatever your kind of position is on that, uh, and his comments there. But what was interesting to me is that they, they'd done their research, and so they pointed out that Israel... Uh, was quoting from Leviticus chapter 18 in order to put forward a pretty standard um, Christian understanding of human sexuality. They said, aha, obviously Israel hasn't read to chapter 19, because in chapter 19 it says you shouldn't get tattoos. And if you know anything about Israel, he's got a couple of tattoos. Uh, They gotcha. I thought, uh, this is not a, um, a new line of critique or a new line of argument. I remember uh, watching um, some other comedians, actually, I don't know what it is about comedians and <laughs> Christians. Um, yeah, they found the, the, the Anglican Archbishop. Now, I'm Anglican, I realise I'm sort of, uh, you might not be familiar with that tradition. The, the Archbishop is the person that Anglicans get together every few, few years to elect to go out and get crucified by the media on our behalf. <laughs> okay, so that's how it works in the Anglicans. I don't know what you guys do here, maybe that's Adam's job, I don't know. Anyway, so we, we elect this archbishop and the, uh, the ABC uh, co- comedians came up and, and got him with a microphone and the camera crew after, after service. He said, Archbishop, we've been reading the Bible and we're a little bit confused about what bits we should be keeping. Because do you believe, for instance, Archbishop, that we should be stoning to death people who work on the Sabbath? Or, or do you believe, Archbishop, that if somebody uh, eats pork... They should be cast out of the community. What about killing the disobedient children? It certainly would deal with some of our teenage problems, wouldn't it? But Archbishop, I can't help but notice you too, uh, well, you have glasses on. And in Leviticus it says that someone with a defect of sight cannot enter the temple of God. And yet here you are at church. Can you explain, Archbishop? In fact, Archbishop, he's looking pretty uncomfortable at this point, Archbishop, would it be possible for the Anglican Church to put out an edition of the Bible with the bits you still believe highlighted? Just so we can know. It's a bit tricky for us to know which bits we're meant to keep and which bits we're not. Now, I don't know uh, if you've come across this particular line of questioning. Maybe you've had this particular line of questioning. Like, hang on, how come I can eat, I don't know, like shellfish and pork, and yet probably murder is not a good idea from the Old Testament law? What's the deal with Christians and following Jesus and keeping the Old Testament law. Now, actually, it turns out, um, great to get your Bibles open as we look at this passage, it turns out that this misunderstanding 
about what Christians believe about the Old Testament law, that is the law of Moses, Torah, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all that, the misunderstanding about Christians and the law actually goes back to Jesus himself. Because in the passage today, I don't know if you noticed, uh, we're going to particularly focus from verse 17. The passage focuses on some people who had a, a fundamental misunderstanding about Jesus and the law of Moses. And so we'll, we'll pick it up here. Some context, Jesus uh, is at the peak of his fame. People are coming to him to, to hear from him. And you know, people are being saved. And he's becoming an overnight sensation, doing miracles. And people have come to listen. But he's also <laughs> attracted some enemies because they're jealous, basically. Um, anyway, so they come and they listen to him. And um, he knows that there's been some pushback against his teaching. And so he says this. Uh, this is chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 17. Do not think, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Do not think, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. That's a funny thing to start off by saying, isn't it? What does it mean to, like, if I have to say, do not think something? What have you seen that would make you think that? Right? Like when you come over to my house for dinner one day, I hope I get the chance to have you over, and I open the door at the end of a long Friday of looking after the kids at home, and I say, do not think, brothers and sisters, that my house has been robbed. For lo, I say to you, it is merely my two-year-old creating a fort in our lounge room. Even though, to the untrained eye, it might look like every single thing I own has been thrown on the floor, tables overturned, chairs hanging from the ceiling. That's just Chloe on a Friday afternoon. Do not think I've been robbed. Or um, something happened to a friend of mine. He was, he was walking down the street in his first aid train. He's a good Samaritan kind of guy. And he saw someone having a fit, a seizure. Right? And he knew what to do. He, he kind of immediately got amongst it. He's a good like that. And he got down and sort of made sure the head was safe and not banging around and sort of like looked after the guy while he was having this seizure. But about 30 seconds after he started rendering first aid, this, um, this guy comes up and we're going to call him hero number one, comes up and clocks my friend in the chin with a punch. Get off him, mate! Pick on someone your own size! To which my friend said, do not think that I was assaulting this gentleman, for verily I tell you, I was merely rendering first aid. He actually used more colourful language, but you get the point, all right? What have these people seen in this circumstance, in this situation, that's made them think one thing, but actually it's the complete opposite? And that's the situation we have in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus starts by saying, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, why would somebody in their right mind think that Jesus, Jesus of the Bible fame, has come to get rid of the Old Testament? He's the Messiah, that doesn't make sense. What have they seen? Well, I'll tell you what they've seen. And you have to backtrack a little bit in the Jewish people's history. Because in Jesus' time, it was a very touchy subject, obeying the law. They'd been through something as a people. In fact, they'd been through the Roman armies coming and threatening Jerusalem. At the time, they thought, well, that's fine. God has promised us that if we keep the law of Moses, no one will be able to attack us. Right? Our temple will be completely secure. And then General Pompey, the Roman general, comes and kills thousands of their priests in God's own temple, splashing blood all over the place. 
and they're suddenly no longer an independent nation. They're an occupied group of people with Roman overlords telling them what to do, appointing a fake priest into the temple, fake government. Right? The Jewish people have just a crisis at that point. Because hang on, if we kept the law of Moses, God promised that that would never happen. Therefore, they looked back and they read the fine print of the law of Moses and discovered they hadn't been keeping any of it. They'd been worshipping the wrong gods or the right god in the wrong way. They hadn't been keeping their obligations to the poor. They hadn't been doing any of it. And so it was a national crisis in Jesus' day, this problem of the law. National security. Right? Sin, disobedience to God, disobedience of the law of Moses is now pandemic-level problem. Right? So the, uh, the Pharisees, they're called, the religious leaders, get their North Face jacket on and they come up and they present, they do a presser, right? And they say, look, we've got to take some serious measures right now. We can't have sin spreading in the community. We need to lock down. Particularly, we need to lock down those sinners over there. You can see them over there. Not you lovely people, just the sinners. We need to keep them away. And so they invented... No, sorry to pick on you down the front. Musicians, I love them. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they had this plan, right, to keep the nation secure from sin, from disobeying the law of Moses. And it involves basically putting drastic lockdown in, in place. I mean, the law of Moses has some commands in it, and they worked out that there are 613 of them. Commands from God. Now, you're not really meant to count them. You're meant to sort of live by it and get the vibe, but they counted them. Right? And then they said, well, just to make sure that we don't even like nearly break any of those laws, we're going to put all these extra laws in place. Right? God says we have to uh, be generous with our money and suggests 10% would be a good amount to give to the poor and to the temple. We're going to cut up 10% of all our herbs in our herb garden just to make sure that we're not breaking any. Okay, so they take it to the extreme, but as Jesus points out, they sort of miss the point. Anyway, so you get why, you get why it's a touchy subject. Jesus comes along and starts hanging out with sinners, like the musicians, the sinners. All right? I'm a musician too, I can say that. All right? You've got to think from their point of view. Jesus starts hanging out with sinful people. Now we know, Jesus knows, that the religious people are just as corrupt as the rest, but in their head, Jesus is hanging out with really sinful people. In their head, Jesus is not keeping the law. Now, actually, Jesus never broke any of the law of Moses, but he did break some of the stupid extra laws that they'd put in place. Right, and so they're saying this guy is a threat to national security because he's, he's not on board with our plan to protect the nation against sin and keep the Old Testament law. And so that's why when they start sort of casting shade on Jesus for that, Jesus has to say, don't think. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is verse 17. Now, uh, that needs a little bit of unpacking. What does it mean to abolish versus to fulfill? Right? I like to think of it a little bit like an engagement. Right? I, I was engaged once and, spoiler, we got married. That's how sometimes it ends up. All right, so we were, we were engaged and then we got married, my wife Steph. Now, I'll tell you what, when we got married, we stopped being engaged. Yeah, you follow? This is how it works, at least in Sydney. I don't know how you do it down here. All right, when we got married, we stopped being engaged. 
But nobody came to me or my wife on our wedding day and said, I'm so sorry, my deepest condolences for the abolition, the abolishment of your engagement. You don't say that to a bride on her wedding day. Why? Well, because the engagement is meant to lead to a marriage. That's the point. It hasn't abolished the engagement. It's, what would be a good word here? Fulfilled. You get the point, right? The engagement ends up in the wedding and just because the engagement's over doesn't mean you're meant to be sad about it. It's the point. And Jesus is saying the idea of Jesus abolishing the Old Testament is just as ludicrous. He's the whole point of the Old Testament. All the promises of God come to their conclusion in Jesus. The whole story of the Old Testament is setting up the need for Jesus to come and die. The sacrificial system teaches us that sin is very, very dear, very, very costly indeed. And someone always has to pay when a serious wrong is forgiven. And normally in blood. Right? That is fulfilled in Jesus who offers his own body on the cross as a sacrifice. The Old Testament teaches us how we're meant to live and how God made us and what the, the, the point of life was and how badly we as humans stuff that up, hence the need for a saviour because we couldn't do it ourselves. And you see, when Jesus comes along, he's, he's saying, I'm not abolishing that stuff, I'm the point of that stuff. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. That is, you know, Moses to Malachi, the whole Old Testament. I've come to fulfil it. Everything that it was looking forward to comes to completion in Jesus. And he gives the ultimate interpretation of the Old Testament. He shows what it was always pointing to. And in fact, if you uh, read ahead, we had a little bit, little bit of the Sermon on the Mount read there. Thank you so much for all those verses. Um, he goes through, and you'll you hear him go through a bunch of, um, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, and so on. He goes through the law of Moses and explains what that was always meant to be saying. So Jesus interprets the Old Testament for us, shows the life that it lays out and how good that life is and how life was always meant to be. But he also fulfills it by being the sacrifice that pays for our breaking of that law. See, it's really very important. If you want to be a Christian, you need to pay attention to the Old Testament. A lot of people say, well, why bother? Why bother? It's all weird hard. And it is weird and hard. I study it for a living and I can confirm it is weird and hard. So do you have to bother reading the Old Testament? Well, that's simple, they say. That depends whether you want to be a Christian or not. Because Jesus says, if you want to understand me, you have to understand the Old Testament and vice versa. Jesus preaches from the Old Testament when he gives his Sermon on the Mount. If you want to understand what he's talking about, why he had to die, what his death means, how to live life, you need to look at the Old Testament. So don't let anyone tell you that it's too hard or too weird. It's good weird, (laughs) good hard, like travelling to another country. What we learn from the Old Testament is, one thing we learn from the Old Testament, is when I say I forgive you, it doesn't mean, ah, that didn't matter. When Jesus says to you, Adam, I forgive you. Jesus is not saying, it didn't matter. The Old Testament teaches us that forgiveness is costly. It's serious. And it's paid for in Jesus' blood. 
For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or, or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Just think about that for a second. Not one iota, he's actually talking in Aramaic, not one yod, the smallest Hebrew or Aramaic letter. It's just like a tink. I could teach you to do it right now. Just go like that. Tink. Or not. If you <laughs> Come on, do it with me. Just a little yod. Tiny little, you just have to go like tink. The smallest Hebrew character, and what Jesus is saying, and, and the other one, the, the, it's, it, the other one he's mentioned is like the, the little flourish you do at the end of Times New Roman, you know, just like the T's that get a little fancy in Times New Roman, right? He's saying the smallest part of the Old Testament will not pass away. In fact, heaven and earth will pass away before that becomes irrelevant or out of date. Now, just think about it. When, when long after, you know, our sun has been swallowed up by a big black hole, and the stars have faded. And the earth is no longer a place you can live. The Old Testament will still be alive, living, active, relevant to you. That's a big call. That's one Jesus is happy to make. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, so um, depending on your translation here, it says, um, uh, often says breaks, which is true. It's a fine translation, but it gives you the sense of, it sounds like what Jesus is saying is if you, if you break any of the laws in the sense of like you don't do them right, all right you accidentally, I don't know, murder someone, then you're going to be least in the kingdom. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about someone who comes along and says, do you know what, that whole murder thing doesn't apply to Christians anymore. We can do whatever we want. Right? He's talking about someone who's just throwing out the entire law, saying we don't have to obey any of those commands anymore. And he's saying, you do that. If you say that law doesn't matter, then you are least in the kingdom of heaven. And that, that's not a good thing. Let's be clear. We want to be in the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to be least in the kingdom of heaven at all. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that's the North Face jacket guys with the 613 extra commands, all right? unless you're more righteous than them, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, that's like where you want to be, right? where, where, where God is reigning on earth again. It's not like clouds and cream cheese and harps and angels and stuff. It's like the world the way it should be. Right? No more mourning or tears or death or corruption, but people living as they should. Communities as they should be. When, when God is honoured, when God is king in every heart, that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying... If you don't have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, the crazy people, the really strict people, you're not going to get in. Now, I get a bit nervous hearing that. Don't you? Right, because that's uncomfortable to hear. And you can imagine people listening to Jesus thinking, well, God, I mean, they're the ones with all the crazy, like, cutting up their herbs to give to the church thing going on. How can we be more righteous than them? Now, what's Jesus saying? He's saying a couple of things, actually. Firstly, he's saying, 
Well, those guys, I mean, I know they make a big show of how like religious they are, but they're worse than anyone. Actually, because Jesus knows what's going on with them. They make a big show of being the religious people, but do you know what? You can be religious and upstanding and an awful person. Maybe you don't know that yet. But you know, you can actually be even a religious leader and be a hypocrite. And Jesus is saying, look, those guys, I know they make a big show of it, but they've got completely the wrong idea. And in fact, sometimes the, the prostitutes and the outcasts and the, the people who are not well-liked in the community, the, Jesus, the people Jesus has been hanging around with, sometimes actually they're closer to God because they know that they're in trouble. They know they need help. The problem with being self-righteous like them is that you don't ask for help, do you? You don't ask for forgiveness. You don't think you need a saviour. As you've shared the gospel with your friends and family, I wonder if you've noticed, like I have, that sometimes the hardest people to break through to are the people who think that God's impressed with them. And Jesus is saying, like, I hate to, I hate to break it to you all. God's not impressed with any of you. You've just made the standard too low. That's what Jesus is saying. Unless It's not that their righteousness was too high. It was too low. And they were focusing on the wrong things. But the other thing which he's hinting at is that, well, no one really reaches the standard. No one is perfect. Anyone here think you're a perfect person? Hold that thought because I want to get a second opinion from your spouse or housemate. Right? They'll tell me for real, right? Am I wrong? Right? Anyone who thinks they're a perfect person is deluded. What we need is a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves. We need Jesus, actually. Because Jesus doesn't just die for our sins, for our mistakes, but Jesus, of course, lived the law of Moses on our behalf. He never broke it. He did the whole thing perfectly. And that is the righteousness that is yours, the righteousness that surpasses the joke of the Pharisees. That righteousness is yours if you're in Jesus. Now, does that mean that you can just go and do whatever you want? Right? Once you're a Christian, can you... I mean, serious question. In fact, whenever I share the gospel with someone, I know that they've got it when they ask this question. Well, hang on. You're saying that Jesus died for my sins and forgives me no matter what I've done. Can we just go crazy now? Like, just sin? Right? They don't normally put it like that. Sometimes they do, honestly. But that's the thought, Right? And it is both wrong and exactly the right question to have, isn't it? Because when you've understood what Jesus has done for you, you understand that you, no one deserves to go to the kingdom of heaven, and yet Jesus makes possible. Now, some caveats. Sin's not good for us. Yes, Jesus welcomes sinners, but he loves sinners too much to leave them in their sin. And this is the thing that we need to understand about the law of Moses. It is not arbitrary restrictions designed to spoil our fun. It's actually guidelines for living in freedom. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, they were slaves. Slaves to Pharaoh. And God gave them freedom in the land 
but he loved them too much not to give them guidelines of how to live as free people. When you've been a slave for a while, you don't know how to make decisions. So God gave them the law, which is good, which is for their good. These laws are not meant to crush your fun. They're meant to make life work. And so the the law is good, the law is to be kept, and none of us are righteous, but God still accepts us into his kingdom. This is a great quote uh, by a guy called Jack Miller. Because right, when you read this stuff, it's pretty heavy. I, I feel confronted. I feel challenged by Jesus' teaching. And Jack Miller's American pastor says, cheer up. Cheer up. You're a far worse sinner than you ever realized. But you're more loved than you ever knew. Okay, now I haven't actually talked about Leviticus. And I'm, I'm conscious that uh, this still raises some questions, right? So we're not meant to throw out the Old Testament, but also, uh, what about the tattoos and the shellfish and the pork thing? Now, I've got mm, six and a half minutes, so I'm not going to um, go into too much detail. We do a whole course on this at Ridley, so, you know, cross-promotion, plug. Um, come to open day. But can I give you just like a thumbnail sketch? Would that be helpful? Okay, what do we do about the Old Testament? Right? So there's a whole bunch of laws in there. This is just a bit of a sideline. If this is not inter- interesting to you, look on your phone or something. But... There's a bunch of different things we can do with the laws in the Old Testament, and there's different laws which we handle in different ways. So, for instance, a whole bunch of the laws in there are about what to do at the temple. Right? They're about the sacrificial system. They're about where to take what animal of what size and how to slit its neck and whereabouts to put the blood. Now, you're going to have a great deal of difficulty obeying those laws for a few reasons. Not least because the only place on the planet where you can legally do that, according to the law of Moses, I don't mean according to the RSPCA, I mean like according to Moses, is the temple in Jerusalem. Right? No, any sacrifice outside of the temple is forbidden. You're going to have a lot of difficulty sacrificing an animal at the temple in Jerusalem. Firstly, it's destroyed. Secondly, there's a mosque on top of it. Okay? The temple was destroyed as Jesus said it would be, but that didn't matter to Jesus because Jesus replaces the temple in his own body. All that stuff about sacrifice, it's still relevant. It's life-giving. It's true. It is for you. But you're not meant to do it in the same way as the people of Israel were. You're meant to learn from it what Jesus has done for you. What does Jesus' blood mean? That's a weird thing we sing about. Well, look at the Old Testament. Okay, so that's the, the, the sacrifice things. True, relevant still, but you're not meant to like kill animals as Christians. I hope you know that, right? You don't do that here? All right, the second thing that you find in the Old Testament is some um, particular rules about how Moses applied God's wisdom and goodness to the Israelite people. Right? All the penalties for particular sins. Okay? And we are not ancient Israel. Right? We have different circumstances. And the law that Moses gave them was actually never meant to be the perfect representation of a perfect society. You know that, right? For instance, they had divorce laws, but divorce, Jesus says, is not meant to be part of our lives. Now, it's a reality, I understand, we need to talk about that, but uh, it was never the intention. And in heaven, there won't be any divorce laws. So, Moses gave them these laws in order to help them run society well. But we don't do society in the same way. For starters, we don't run society, right? We don't have Moses, and Adam Chung is not our Prime Minister yet, I don't know. 
Right? We're not trying to recreate ancient Israel, even if that were possible. That's not our job. In fact, as a non-Jew, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm not Jewish by descent. I wasn't even invited to obey most of these laws, even if I lived back in Moses' day. You know that, right? In, in Leviticus, the only laws that actually would apply to me as a non-Jew are the ones about not idolatrizing and, and sexual immorality and killing people, I think. Right? These laws were in a particular time and place. Now, are they still relevant? Well, do you reckon our society could learn anything from the laws which said you shouldn't exploit the poor and vulnerable? I don't know. Maybe there's a principle there that we could apply. Okay, so you see what we're doing? We're looking at what God in his wisdom has told one group of people, like overhearing marriage vows. Okay, we learn from it. It's still the same God. People are still the same. But we apply it in new ways in our circumstances. And then there's a whole bunch of other laws which just reflect really sensible things about humanity. We're not that different. We still like lie and cheat and steal and murder and commit adultery and stuff. Right? And, and Moses says that's really not a good idea. Right? For instance, if you go about your business operations lying to your customers and your suppliers and your employees, things are going to go badly for you. That's Moses for you. Smart guy. Now, thankfully, we don't have the same laws literally, right? So, the law against adultery, right? That doesn't apply to me. You know that, don't you? It doesn't apply to you either. Is this a surprise to you? The law against adultery doesn't apply because the law against adultery says if you commit adultery, you get stoned to death. That bit doesn't apply, but for goodness sake, people, keep your promises. That's Moses for you. It's sound advice. And it's not advice which is meant to kill your fun. This is the advice of a, of a God who loves you and music stands that don't work. Right? He loves this world even though it's broken. Right? And he loves you even though you're a bit broken too. He cares about you. The reason he gave you these laws is not so that you can be constricted, but so that you can have freedom. People think that freedom is about not having any restraint. Right? And then you become an adult. And you realize that actually, though you can wake up every morning and eat four liters of ice cream for breakfast, like my toddler would do if I let him, that's not freedom. That's a stomachache. Right? And God gives us these laws and these principles and this revelation of who he is and who we are and how life works because he loves us. Is that relevant? Well, are you still a human? Do you still need to make decisions? Do your actions have consequences in your life? If yes, then the law of Moses is still relevant to you. Freedom is not just about being free from restraint. It's about being free to do something, to live. I saw a movie um, during lockdown. A lot of people during lockdown saw... I, I watched sad movies. That's kind of how I spent a lot of the time. I don't know about you. I saw this movie, which I, I stress... I'm not recommending this movie. It's a very sad movie from the 90s by... Um, a director called Ang Lee. You know Ang Lee? Amazing director. Um, and probably one of the most honest Hollywood portrayals of the sexual revolution. And I'm going to describe the movie. I'm not recommending you see it. It's a bit depressing and quite explicit. But it's truthful. It's set in the 1970s. Nixon is going through Watergate or whatever. And they're in a town called New Canaan, which I think is brilliant for what's about to happen. Because here they are, and the adults... A friend of mine explained the movie, basically the adults behave like children and the children try to behave like adults, but they have no guidance, so it all goes bad. Right? 
Grown-ups are trying to deal with their emotional issues by shoplifting and sleeping in the wrong beds with the wrong people. The children are trying to like explore drugs and sexuality, but with no guidance from their parents. And it all culminates on this, on this icy night. It's called the ice storm. The movie's called Ice Storm. And it culminates on this night when the adults all go off to a, a dinner party, one of those sleazy 1970s inventions where the adults leave their, the, the, the men leave their car keys in a bowl at the door and the women have a lucky dip for which man they'll go home with. It's, it's off. But their children, while they're doing this and, and, and in this sort of depraved dinner party, the children are out in the night as an ice storm is brewing, trying to discover how to live. And they have no guidance. Their models and their parents are just awful. They have nothing to say. They try to have that chat, you know, the chat that your parents have with you about the birds and the bees, and their parents have nothing because they're sleeping with the wrong people and don't know what to say about drugs and the rest of it. And it's tragic because in the light of day, after that storm, it's a metaphor, after that storm, the parents wake up, you know, passed out in bathrooms and crying because they've just slept with their next-door neighbour and it hasn't solved any problems, surprise, surprise. And the children have been roaming the streets looking for how to live. And the saddest, saddest moment in the movie is as this father weeps over the lifeless body of his son who's not passed through the night unscathed. And this is the situation when we don't have guidance for how to live in freedom. And God loves us too much to leave us there. So um, I encourage you, I challenge you, I invite you to take that plane ride, the only plane ride we can take right now, to the Old Testament, to the law of Moses, um, to read, to read how life is meant to work. And you have to stick around a while and you have to kind of get used to the strange customs and the food's a bit funny and they drive on the wrong side of the road and all that. But in there you find the words of a father who cares for you who wants your relationships to be good. Do not think for a second that Jesus came to abolish the law and the prophets. He didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we are better off for that. Shall, shall I pray? Why don't I pray? Almighty God, thank you that you love us and you love us too much to leave us on our own. You love us too much to leave us without guidance, without direction, without principles, without a sense of how you've made us and how our relationships work and what we need to flourish. Thank you for Moses and the, the revelation you gave his people about you, about us, about how life works. And I pray that we would be good travellers to the Old Testament lands, that we would pick up and learn and that we would be better off for it. We're sorry for the times that we've fallen short. And we ask that you would forgive us in Jesus' name, who came to fulfill the law and prophets. Amen.